0: All right, this morning we are continuing our study of the Apostles' Creed, uh, keeping our focus on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So, just a brief recap. Last week we talked about the Trinitarian structure of the Creed, if you have it in front of you. Uh, Actually, if you have a bulletin, there's a copy of it in the bulletin. But I believe in God the Father Almighty, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, I believe in the Holy Spirit we talked about the divinity of the Holy Spirit, the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, and that the writers of the Creed were trying to communicate that in the way that they structured the Creed in that kind of Trinitarian formula. But more importantly than what the Creed teaches, uh, the Creed is simply trying to be faithful to Scripture, and we, we talked about the fact that the Scriptures clearly teach that the Holy Spirit is God. Also, that the Spirit is not just an impersonal force, but is the third person of the Trinity. And in that regard, we talked about the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit possesses the incommunicable attributes of God. Just a a quiz. See who's paying attention. What are the incommunicable attributes of God? Those are good examples. It's the um, those attributes that he doesn't share with his creatures, such as being omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. Um, he does share some. Those are the communicable attributes, like love and um, wisdom and truth and you know those sorts of things. But very good. Uh, we also started to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit and specifically we spent a lot of time talking about his work in building the church giving gifts to the church for the building up of the church talked a lot about spiritual gifts so <clears throat> this week I want us to continue talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and I'll start with a question and I think it's a layup uh, remember we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit the question is who wrote the Bible? What do you think? Nobody wants
1: to say it because
2: we're worried we might be wrong, but the Holy Spirit
0: went through. I mean, like. Wait a second. The Holy Spirit, I mean, I thought Moses wrote the first five books, and I thought David wrote Psalms, and Solomon wrote Proverbs, and I thought Isaiah wrote Isaiah, and I thought Paul wrote 13 letters, and John wrote four. The Holy Spirit went through this, men. That's a great answer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Very good. Second um, Peter one says, "No word of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." So it makes it clear that the work of Scripture is the work of the Holy Spirit, um, but it's also the work of these men. Men wrote it. The Holy Spirit wrote it. Men wrote it, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, So the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. You could think of it like through His human instruments, these men were like His ink pens, and He gave them every word that they were to say. That doesn't even mean that they were aware of what was happening at the time. Um, Sometimes, like in the prophets, they knew they had a word from the Lord. Other times, they were writing letters to churches, as a good pastor would do, and God was inspiring every word. So... um, That's a great answer, and that's exactly right. We have to say both, that men wrote it and the Holy Spirit wrote it, but ultimately the Holy Spirit wrote it through his human instruments. Um, Now, keep that in mind as we wander into this next question, and it may seem to you a bit random, um, but it's actually a direct application of what we're talking about. So, in the world that we're living in, uh, there are many in the church that want to normalize the sin of homosexuality. And you say, seriously, don't we talk about that enough? Do we have to talk about that? Well, you know, I think that if someone was trying to normalize polygamy or bestiality, we might spend more time there. But that's not really where people are camping out. Um, There's just more emphasis on trying to normalize the sin of homosexuality. So we do. We have to think about it. And we need to know how to respond lovingly and truthfully. I think when we don't have good answers, we tend to posture and flare up, which isn't helpful. So you really have to be able to think through these things in order to respond lovingly and truthfully. And I would say our children particularly need to know how to respond lovingly and truthfully because the world they're growing up in is very different than the world we grew up in. um, And they will never remember a day when it wasn't normal socially. So uh, it's important that we think through these issues. So here's a question. What do you say uh, about the fact that Jesus never talked about homosexuality? And that's true. Um, and Christians follow Jesus, so never mind what Moses said in Leviticus or what Paul said in Romans 1 or what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. Jesus never talked about homosexuality.
2: He didn't talk about embezzlement. uh, did he mention abortion specifically?
0: No. So, what's your point?
2: I mean, there's lots of things
1: that
0: Jesus didn't talk about, right? But that... He didn't talk about the internet. He didn't talk about the internet? That's that's true. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's a good answer. Um, go ahead. Uh,
1: Jesus is the same as the Father and the Spirit who inspired Romans. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. that's the. I think that is the point. You know, there are a lot of good answers for that. There's a book called <coughs> "What Does the Bible Say About Homosexuality" by Kevin DeYoung. It's very helpful. It's very loving. Um. You know, He makes certain points like Jesus didn't come to disassociate from the law. He came to embody the law and fulfill the law. Um, you could take them to Mark 6 where Jesus affirms the creation design of marriage. You could point to a couple places where Jesus condemns sexual immorality. The word is porneia. It's a blanket term which is understood uh, culturally there to just embody all sexual immorality which would include heterosexual fornication, it would include homosexuality and and all sorts of things. But the point, in my opinion, to that question is what Josh said. Um, It involves the Trinitarian theology that we're trying to understand as we study the Apostles' Creed, understanding God as three distinct persons in one being. So when someone says that Jesus never said anything specific about homosexuality, don't be afraid to grant that. It's true, and say what Clark said, and he didn't say anything about embezzlement, he didn't say anything about the internet, he didn't say anything about a lot of things, but the Holy Spirit wrote the entire Bible, every word, front to back, and we can never pit Jesus against the Holy Spirit, because Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, one being, one essence. Um... That, in my mind, is the. And it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about like deal, seal, or win the argument. I'm just talking about faithfully articulating what God has revealed to us in the face of a lot of. I think that is a challenging question for us. It puts you on your heels and it kind of shuts you down, and you go, (laughs) really? He never did? You know, but I think you start to think about it and you go, okay well he didn't talk about some other things too and how would we think through that the Trinity is very important there uh, we can't pit Jesus against the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit wrote Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and Leviticus and, and all of that So, any other thoughts on that
1: so if we find another letter of Paul's
0: uh-huh. that, would
1: be considered, that would be scripture as well because it's inspired by
0: the Holy Spirit? No. Not all of Paul's letters are in the Bible. He wrote more letters than just the letters that uh, we have. And the uh, canon is closed, so they're not going to add any new books to the Bible. The church. And,
2: And when did the canon close?
0: It closed late. Uh, June like 15th <laughs> of 82? Yeah. In the, um, no, was it four eight, 300s, 400s, something like that? Do you know?
1: And I see a com- the concept
0: of Paul. 325? Yeah. Okay. So um, even if they find another letter by Paul, it's not going to be added to the Bible. So but
1: Inspiration has to do something with the councils as well.
0: It has to do with God using ordinary means and sinful men to accomplish his perfect holy tasks, much like he did when in writing the scriptures.
1: Those are real questions that I get asked. Yeah. I don't know if you do too.
0: I really don't, like, other than by friends. you, but uh, I think, it, how do you, you know what I mean? yeah, how do like, you how answer the that?
1: Bible, and then, well, you're just picking, it seems like you just pick random Yeah, stuff, and then they don't like Thomas, and.
0: Yeah, and I think the a good and those are I don't. What about left behind? Yeah, <laughs> well, those should be in,
1: but obviously they'll be at the end. I'm yeah, exactly. Now I'm
0: tribulation really spoke to me
2: specifically.
0: That's true. That's good. I do think those are good questions, and I I also think it's important to know um, some. Uh, it wasn't just like we'll go with that one. You know, there was an orderly function of the church at large which the church is much larger now um, but it was determining uh, first of all Jesus had commissioned his apostles with his word and they had what they kind of like a rule of faith is what it's often called um, but you got to remember they didn't have they had the Old Testament scriptures and they had a lot of oral, uh, and, and written letters, but there's all kinds of letters going around. And how do we know what's what? Well, they determined that uh, there were some that were fitting with the not only the Old Testament, but also the gospel message that the apostles were proclaiming. And uh, some made the cut and some didn't. It was fallible men making those decisions, and we would say God uh, ordering that through sinful men. What would you say? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I think that it, what is important to know. I don't. That doesn't
1: all being well, of inspiration. My point was: could could there be a letter of Paul that we haven't dug up that's inspired?
0: Okay. Right. Hypothetically, yeah. I mean, I don't know, uh, but I don't really. What, it would be so obviously consistent with everything in here. You know, that's, that was kind of the criteria. Yeah, Is true. it consistent with everything in here? And I, didn't, I don't even have a problem. Like, there was a, a time when Bibles came with the Apocrypha, which are the extra books that the Catholic Church puts in their Bible. Which
1: you got Augustine liked a lot of book sure. books. Sure. Yeah.
0: And, and everyone, all the Reformers, interacted with those books. And in their Bibles, the Apocrypha was in there not as Scripture, but as a, an appendix. I don't have a problem with that. In terms of, sure, read them. But it will be, there are going to be inconsistencies with God's Word. And that that's kind of how they've always, from the Council of Nicaea, um, to, you know, the Apocrypha wasn't added officially until, I believe, the Council of Trent, which was in the 1500s. So, um,
2: and couldn't we also trust God's sovereignty in inspiring scripture that through those fallible men that he had all of the letters that he wanted included in scripture available by 325 confirmed mm-hmm. could we not yeah, he, so that if our, he wanted something yeah, in the bible he yeah, wouldn't he have buried it in, it. It yeah. in it's
0: like, oh, a you? cave don't <laughs> <laughs> no, put it there right. <laughs> I'll never find how it. did we lose <laughs> that
1: <laughs>
0: where did that go yeah.
1: No, what some people will do is they'll say then so you've got scripture is the only inspired thing but now you've got this council that's inspired and so now the church is inspired and you've given, they're given equal weight right Right. so you've got the mm-hmm. magisterium of the church is equal with scripture which is the can be an inspiration
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, which uh, that would not be how I or we would say that. I mean, you may, but... Um, right. Dr. Young in the Scripture. Y- yeah, that's right. Our that's our councils. Uh, but, you know, all that, that councils have been uh, authorities in the church. They have been helpful. They ought to be even submitted to and uh, learned from, but they are not the authority. In the church. They are not the infallible authority. They are not the divine authority that scripture is. So we a lot of times Protestants swing the other way. It's kind of like we're trying to come back this way by studying the apostles' Creed. What does that mean? You think that's scripture? No. We don't. You think councils are... No. We don't. We think they're important. We think their authorities, like a mother and father, are an authority, but they are fallible authorities. They, they can be wrong, and we're going to submit everything to scripture. So... Good talk. Uh, Switching gears quickly. (laughs) I'm kidding. What role does the Holy Spirit play in your own faith and your own growth in the Lord? What do you think? He wrote the Bible, so there's no growth apart from the Bible. He's building His church in which we grow. can't grow apart from one another. Cut off a hand, the rest of the body's going to do fine, the hand's not going to do very good. We're part of the same body. Um, what else? More individually speaking. I think when you're reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit can open your eyes to specific truths. Yes, absolutely. And also
1: foster the fruits of the Spirit.
0: That's exactly right. And even taking that open, opening eyes thought, uh, that's certainly true for us. He uh, illumines His truth and, and uh, teaches us wisdom and understanding. But even back at step one, He opens eyes initially. We were all spiritually blind in our sin. And at some point, our eyes opened and our ears opened. And we had the, the ability to hear and see and the capacity to respond in faith and obedience. And that's all the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus in John 3 says to Nicodemus, um, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom. And then later he says in order to enter the kingdom. Uh, so even the ability to see and hear and also to walk and, and obey and understand... That's all, and that is thought to be a reference uh, to Ezekiel 36, which is the classic passage, Dr. Young mentions it quite a bit, but where there's a heart of stone, and that's hard and unimpressionable, and and the whole context is Israel's disobedience to God, but he says, I'm going to do something, I'm going to take out that heart of stone, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, which is moldable and shapeable and sensitive, and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit so that you're able to follow me and obey my commands and uh, it is we don't know what was in the mind of christ at that time but it's often thought that's kind of where he was going with that that's the john 3 of the old testament and it's clear in that passage that even conversion is a work of the holy spirit as is growth in our maturity and spiritual insight what else
2: Mm-hmm. And that would be the Holy
0: Spirit. So, like the um, internal testimony and, and affirmation that this is true?
2: Well, and that could go both ways. If you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing.
0: That's conviction? Yes.
2: And even if you're not really following Christ, like you're not, you don't consider yourself a believer yet, I would say that's
0: to a degree true, to a point. point. You would say correctly. I mean, there is, uh, you know, the the lesson goes into the distinction between common grace and uh, particular grace and saving grace and that sort of thing. But um, common grace, one of the examples of common grace would be like, everyone has a conscience. Whether you're a Christian or not, you know, you have an internal moral compass. Now, some so suppress it and and so torch it that it doesn't function as it should um, and none of our consciences function as they should ultimately because of sin but that's a common grace and that's you know a work of God the Holy Spirit in the world um, he came it says in John 16 to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and so um, now that gets the, uh, upped even more in the Christian as he convicts us of sin. You know, we can grieve the Spirit as we resist his convictions, his proddings, as he is kind of giving us guilt and shame about certain things that we ought to have that about. And um, that's certainly a work of the Holy Spirit. Anything else?
1: Gifts.
0: Gifts. Uh, you know, for the building up of the church, which is the context. It's all for the greater good. But, I mean, you know, any any spiritual ability, capacity that we have is all from the Holy Spirit. Really, it's all from the Holy Spirit. I mean, any... Um, you know, apart from Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. And any sight, hearing, ability to respond, ability to be convicted and repent and believe and work out our salvation you know work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to work even the desire to do it is is from him the ability to do it is from him it all comes from God and um, you know the Holy Spirit usually I think, probably gets a back seat maybe particularly in um, what we might call non- charismatic circles where you know we want to be cautious about certain errors and yet we don't need to lose sight of the third person of the Trinity who has an incredible ministry uh, right now in our midst in the world. <clears throat> Jesus said that it was better for him to go back to heaven and sin the Spirit. Now, most of us would say it would be best if Jesus were here teaching and not me. Now, that's true if you're just comparing Him to me. But what I mean is we think it would be best if Jesus were still on earth with us. And we could like have Bible study with Him and follow Him around and listen to Him teach and share a meal with Him and pray with Him. And Jesus says, wrong. It is better that I go and send the Spirit who leads us into the truth. Um, that's pretty shocking. So, do not we don't want to be cautious of uh, being charismatics to the degree that we neglect our understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit. I think we
1: naturally want a person. So, I know that I have a hard time just listening to the Holy Spirit. I want to read a book. Might tell me, yeah, that's where I find comfort, so it's hard to listen to that quiet thing. So, Jesus being here does seem more like, Yes, right? When really, you know, we really make our own Jesuses, though. I think you sure. know, we say,
0: I'm gonna listen to that person versus versus, what God's yeah, him. that's right. Where did he say that? Um, John, or was it John 16? I'm going to try to find that. <clears throat> well, if someone comes across that, let me know. I will read to you from 2 Peter 1, which I mentioned earlier, because this is to the point that Jessica made. Um, and that, that desire for personal interaction with God is good. He has introduced Himself that way. He has forever... um, you know. When we're introduced to God in the Scriptures, He's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, there's personal interaction. And um, so, the desire to have personal relationship with God is good. It's absolutely necessary that we do. But in 2 Peter 1, um, just to the point that it's better the way that it is now, having the Holy Spirit, having the Word of God... Uh, Peter was there, and I've told some of you guys this before, I think, but um, he was there at the Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured into His glorified state. So He took Peter, James, and John with Him on the mountain, and basically He turned into something like what He looks like now. His His face shone like the sun. His clothes were white as light, and they, you know, His majestic glory is what Peter calls it in this passage when He was transfigured. Uh, Moses and Elijah appear. So they've been in heaven for a long time at this point, and they show up. And you know, Moses and Elijah are the two big dogs in Israel, uh, Israel's history for a Jew because Moses is the law and Elijah is the prophets. So the law and the prophets, that's how you refer to the Scriptures. And when Moses and Elijah show up, Peter's response is something like, Lord, we knew you were a big deal. Let me make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And at that moment, the Father speaks audibly from heaven so that the disciples fall face on the ground. And He says, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. As if to say, No. There won't be a need for three tents. One tent. There's one Lord. And Moses and Elijah. This is Moses and Elijah as the Lord. So, I always like to think about the fact that is like the experience of all experiences with God. That is about as personal as it gets. The Father speaking audibly from heaven. Anybody ever wanted like a little bit more clarity? And uh, He was being clear. And Jesus, they're transfigured. They're seeing Him with His own eyes. They're hearing with their own ears. Then they fall down, and Jesus touches them and says, "Do not be afraid." And He, you know, they're feeling His glorified state, touching them from heaven, essentially. Peter recounts that in 2 Peter 1, and this is what he says. He says, uh, "...we do not follow cleverly devised myths uh, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty." That's what he's talking about. "...when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased." He's talking about "...the transfiguration." we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What what some translations say is we have something more sure, the prophetic word. We have something more confirmed, the prophetic word. So, more certain than... If I were there and Jesus was transfigured and I saw it with my own eyes and I heard the Father with my own ears and I fell down in fear of God because He just spoke from heaven and Jesus touched me from heaven. Um, he says there's something even more sure than that which is the Word of God. And that's the next verse is, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It was never produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's saying this is better. Now, I agree with you. (laughs) And I think we all tend to think that personal interaction would be better. But not only did Jesus say it would be better when I go to heaven and send the Spirit, but then Peter testifies to that and says, we've got something even more sure than the transfiguration in the Word of God as we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's pretty incredible. I don't think we tend to think about the Word as that kind of gift. Um, and with that kind of power. But that's the biblical witness. I
1: mean, they all denied him after that. Right. It's like they hung out with him. Yeah. So the presence of Jesus, in a sense, isn't changing.
0: That's right. It's a great point. Yeah, Peter I mean, had been with Jesus, had prayed with Jesus, had eaten with Jesus, had sat at his feet while he taught, had seen the transfiguration, had seen his miracles, had even... Um, Performed some of his miracles. They were sent out two by two. And yet, weak Peter wasn't transformed into bold, courageous Peter until the Holy Spirit came, until he preached at Pentecost. Until, you know, that's pretty amazing to think about. But um, I think that's it. He is the classic example of how it is better uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, good stuff. Alright, uh, we'll run out of time. What are some applications for our lives <clears throat> as we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit?
2: I think it's so, <clears throat> it can be confusing to interpret what's the Holy Spirit, what's my own desire, what am I suppressing? I want all the stars to align And a good, peaceful feeling about this decision
0: Mm.
2: before I feel like this is what God wants me to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's where right prayer and daily interaction comes
0: into play. Absolutely. And faith. I mean, a lot of times, clarity comes in the rearview mirror. You know, there are going to be many decisions, even big ones that you have to make in your life. And, you know you're praying for clarity, and the kind of clarity that may come is, okay, I'm not outside of the revealed will of God. Like, I'm not in sin as I pursue this. Um, But Josh made a huge career change. Uh, Molly's making a big career change. I mean, does total clarity come... Sometimes, maybe people have just this real internal sense. But you know, other times, there's a whole lot of like... I feel like the car's moving about 80 miles an hour and it's a muddy windshield. And I just got to trust the Lord's driving. And I know that I'm not, as far as I can discern my own heart, not just like headlong in <laughs> sin here, but I got to trust Him and make a decision. I think you're right. I mean, it's just this daily abiding, trusting. Okay, Lord. And you know what? If it's not from Him, if it's not His will, He will slam doors shut. He will send you on a fork in the road. He will do things in your life you never knew how to... Ask for.
2: I think. Okay. I think y'all are going to be allowed to make really bad decisions. Sure, you are. (laughs) And learn from those.
0: Yes. He will.
2: I agree with the doctrine of like an open
1: door either, because I think sometimes we think, well, this opportunity came up, that must be God, because it's
0: open. Right. And like, how do you? I don't know. Well, Paul does say that we should pray for open doors for the gospel. I think that we would recognize if if it comes to pass, it is God who has established our steps in that direction. But I'm with you. In the sense, the way people interpret opportunities, well, it, th- listen to the story about how this came about. It must be from God's, huh? or not? <laughs> Go check it out. It certainly apply to uh, salvation and evangelism, right? Yeah. Like the open door policy of
2: whether or not that is um, what we other harvest is ready to be reaped or what you know, right. like they're not ready or they are. Sure. So I can see how the open door applies to
1: that. Yeah. But in decision-making in life, where we get the
2: opportunity to mold our lives into good and peaceful decisions, Mm -hmm. all these options we
1: have. Sometimes it's discipline, too, or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we'll go back to Peter. He was crucified. Yeah. (laughs) That's how he died. Yeah. So I don't know what career choice, and we're talking about decision-making, you know, he's making decisions, but these decisions are leading to his death. Yeah. And, um, and I think that sometimes <clears throat> the decision isn't necessarily blessing, even though you kind of hope it is or whatever, but sometimes it's, well, you're going to do this and it's going to be the worst time of your life mm-hmm. and you'll struggle through it and you'll grow. But that's where, you know, yeah, sovereignty comes in.
0: Yeah. Because you can make a decision where you were sincere in your prayers yeah, and, and your faith. you
1: trying to do something selfishly. And it whatever. turns
0: out for a really bad season. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's where we get back to, like, we think God intends our happiness yeah. when really what He's after is our holiness. And, the, I mean, the ultimate picture of that would be the death and resurrection of Christ, the death and resurrection of His apostles, you know, where, yeah, that's maybe if we thought about that, hey, whatever this decision ends up, I'm going to die relatively soon. And, and then I'm going to be in glory, which is the greatest thing. Uh, but as bad as it ends up, eh, you know, it'll be okay. I mean, Jessica told me one time, the thing you have to do to follow the Lord is just work out your greatest fears before the Lord. And you can kind of come to terms with that and trust Him there. Well, you'd be alright. I think that's good advice actually. Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen in this situation? Well, usually, if you get creative, some pretty bad things could happen. But if you can trust God, there might free you up a little bit.
2: In regards to the the Holy Spirit, too, I think uh, one thing the Holy Spirit does is assures. He assures where we're going to end up. That's right. Should a better understanding of that should give the believer more uh, confidence to even persevere through bad times, not to get. About good times. Um, I was thinking about, you know, uh, when God entered covenant with Abraham and walked through the you know, the split mm-hmm. uh, bodies of the animals, <clears throat> made Abraham fall asleep because he knew he couldn't keep his half of the covenant. And the Holy Spirit's kind of performing the same function. Jesus said, uh, I'm going to justify you, and then I'm not going to leave you to your own devices to try and get there by yourself, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to assure. That uh, even you know you draw the little up and down thing that's supposed to be your spiritual walk or whatever. Yeah. But the end is always going to be the same no matter what the line looks like. That's right. It's So uh, and sh- understanding the role of the Holy Spirit, should be some confidence. Yeah. Um, and freedom to uh, have anxiety. Uh, tempered, uh, concerns. It doesn't work out like that
0: particularly well because we're still fighting the flesh. But, yeah. Um, Even uh, freedom to take risks. You know, like I'm not, Lord. Uh, I I think that I'm here and I'm not sinning against you flagrant, flagrantly as long as far as I can see. My heart's in trusting you. I know it's not fully trusting you. I've got you know I'm still battling all this flesh, but but uh, it that reality that sam's talking about that the holy spirit has fixed our ends in heaven it gives comfort in seasons of trial and devastation how could a sovereign good god bring me here well don't he's not just bringing you here he's bringing you through here to get there and the end is fixed the end is fixed in glory and also knowing that, back to the we, we do seek discernment. You make plans, you make preparations, you entrust them to the Lord. It's the Lord who establishes your steps. But I would tell you, ask him, seek him, knock on the door, trust him, and risk for his glory, for the kingdom. Do things that, you know, don't just live a safe little comfortable existence trying to get God to help you. Do that. But, you know, do things. Make a difference. Make an impact. And I, that doesn't mean necessarily world-changing, but it might be within your own household. I mean, just we're, we're shaking it up. Um, that's a good word. The ends are fixed. And the last thing I'll end with is just we have not been left to our own strength. And um, it's very important. We talked about it a little bit last week. But I regularly, regularly, regularly get in conversations with Dear brothers and sisters, where they're bewildered by the fact that there's no way I can do this. And I always say, you're right. There's no way you can do this. But God is strong in your weakness. His power is made perfect in your weakness. His grace is sufficient for you. I mean, your inability is all over the Scriptures. But the fact that He is able. So the power of the resurrection, the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And He will give spiritual, supernatural life to your body as you are faced with whatever it is that you're faced with that feels completely insurmountable. It is in your strength. It is absolutely not with God and His strength. So take heart. Jesus has indeed overcome the world and He has sent you that very power in the person and work of the Holy Spirit to indwell you and get you home and in the meantime to overcome the insurmountable. Uh, As we go, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your grace and mercy and love. It is steadfast and immovable and always abounding, uh, Lord, to us. We are not worthy. We are grateful, though, uh, to know more and more of you and uh, your person and work. Lord Jesus, also Yours, and Holy Spirit, also Yours. Uh, We want to know You, the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And and we pray, would You please give wisdom and insight into the true knowledge of You, uh, to the end that we might be humbled before You, that we might grow in the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that we might serve You with faith and courage and boldness. Would You use us to glorify You And we do pray in Jesus' name, amen.